This morning's scripture reading comes from the book of Luke, chapter 2, verses 41 through 50. Listen for the word of God. Now every year his parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up as usual for the festival. And when the festival was ended and they started to return, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but his parents did not know it. Assuming that he was in the group of travelers, they went a day's journey. Then they started to look for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem to search for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished, and his mother said to him, Child, why have you treated us like this? Look, your father and I have been searching for you in great anxiety. And he said to them, Why were you searching for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he said to them. For the word of God and scripture, for the word of God among us, for the word of God within us. Thanks be to God. Amen. So you need to know that I am a forgetful person, and not just in the I can't find my keys way, but in the I haven't found anything without the assistance of my wife in the last better part of a decade way. I, I lose my keys, I, I lose my wallet, I, I go to the store and forget one or two items on the list, and, and let's be honest, even though I've been with you now for over six months, I'm still learning a lot of names, and I'm trying to match them with foreheads and eyebrows if we've had the chance to meet in person, and those first few Sundays that we're together, it's going to be a whole lot of me saying, hey man, hey you, how are y'all doing? Because uh, I'm bad with names too. Do you ever run into someone who knows exactly who you are, and you have, hear me now, zero idea who they are, and you'll try to pass it off like you totally know who they are, but, but then you can always tell when they figure you out about halfway through the conversation, they get this look on their face like, you have no idea who I actually am, do you? And your skin is just crawling because you want nothing more than for that conversation to be over and to walk away and pretend like they don't even exist anymore. Is that just me? Maybe that makes me a bad person. But the honest truth is that I simply can't remember anything. I am so forgetful. So naturally, I spend a lot of time searching for things. Yeah, my keys, my wallet, my jacket, names. And so many times when I'm looking for something, searching for something, I'll ask Reagan if she's seen it, and she'll walk over to like the most obvious spot. And of course, it's sitting right there. Maybe this is why I can relate to Mary and Joseph in the second chapter of Luke when they lose Jesus and proceed to search for him all over the place, all over Jerusalem, only to find him in the most obvious spot. The one spot they don't look is the one spot we should expect to find him. And in the story of Jesus losing himself in his childhood, we can learn something profound for our lives as those seeking to follow Jesus and searching for all sorts of things in our own lives. Because let's be honest, we are all searching for something. At different times in our lives, we're searching for different kinds of things. When we're kids, we're searching for safety, security, love, adventure, fun. When we're teenagers, we're searching for friends or for our identity or maybe a girlfriend or a boyfriend or for freedom. When we're in college, we're searching for, for passion, for adulthood, for something worth pursuing, or maybe just for a good time. 
when we're young adults, we're searching for a life, a career, maybe a spouse. And then we hit our stride as adults and begin to search for success, not just in our careers, but also in our relationships and our families. Later in life, we begin to search for legacy, for deeper meaning, for significance. But how often does our searching turn up empty? The job is long in hours and short on passion. Our marriage feels more like work and less like joy. Our family is not measuring up to the books and the blogs that we read or, God forbid, the perfectly posed Instagram shots of our friends' families. At the end of the day, so many times our searching leaves us feeling rather lost. And we don't find what it is that we thought we were looking for. So we're all searching for something. And so I ask you today, what are you searching for? What are you searching for? Think about it, really. This is not a rhetorical question. What are you searching for? Whatever it is, let that rest in your mind as we search through the Scripture together today. You know, this is a unique story in Luke's gospel. He's the only one that tells it, and it's actually the only gospel that includes a story from Jesus' childhood, Not, not his infancy, but his actual childhood. And it's in this story that Jesus actually speaks his first words in the gospel of Luke, so we'd better pay attention. It begins this way, now every year his parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover, and when he was 12 years old, They went up as usual for the festival. The premise of the story was a a pilgrimage that many Jewish families would have known all too well. Mary and Joseph and Jesus would have made the four-hour or the four-day trip, rather, from Nazareth to Jerusalem each year, maybe even two or three times a year for the high holy days of Judaism. Now, because this was a common pilgrimage, they would have traveled in a large group, which serves as an excellent excuse for the home alone scenario that we're about to witness in a second. Also, Jesus being 12. Jesus is 12. It's a very deliberate choice for Luke. Luke wants to make clear that Jesus is very much still a boy. In the Jewish tradition, boys became men at the age of 13. This story comes before Jesus is a man, before his baptism, before those clouds come apart and he hears that voice declare from God on high, this is my son, my beloved, in whom I'm well pleased. Luke wants us to know that Jesus is very much still a child. And it's in this childish state that Jesus also knows things that the adults around him will struggle to understand their whole lives long. So the story continues, when the festival was ended and they started to return, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but his parents did not know it. Now I love this, assuming that he was in the group of travelers, they went a day's journey. Then they started to look for him among the relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem to search for him. You know, I think a lot of parents really like this story because it makes them feel that they're not doing so bad by comparison. I mean, if Mary and Joseph, the holy family, can lose the Son of God, you're not so bad off yourself, right? And it's not like they couldn't find him for an hour or so. It says that they didn't even notice he was gone for an entire day, right? I love how all of a sudden they're like, oh, you know, he must be somewhere in the caravan. He'll turn up like he's a piece of lost luggage or something. Now, while it's easy to poke fun at, I also think that we have to remember that raising children and and living in community was very different back then. 
the ties amongst your local village and the families within were much stronger than they are today. That's because for most people, their family would live and die for generation upon generation upon generation in the same little village or community without exception. You know, Joseph was a carpenter or a stonemason. It's not like he could just pick up and move his carpentry headquarters to Jericho because there were better tax breaks. That's not how the world worked back then. I mean, you were pretty much stayed exactly where you were, which would lead to a very deep sense of community and trust within that community. So maybe it isn't so crazy that Mary and Joseph would not be overly concerned about not seeing their son. They probably assumed he was with a friend's family or something. Nowadays, in the days of cell phones and constant tracking and and growing fear and concern for the safety of our kids, it's hard to imagine not knowing where your children are 24-7. Maybe we shouldn't laugh so hard at Mary and Joseph. Maybe we should be jealous that they were able to have that level of trust and sense of safety within their community. I think we live in this tension today as families where we want to have that level of closeness in our communities, but it's, it's hard to shake that fear that something will go wrong. We want our kids to be in a loving village, but we also live in the Me Too era where it can be so hard to truly trust those around us and for very good reason. It can feel challenging to find a community that is close-knit and that is safe and that is loving for all of the kids that call it home. I see that kind of community here at Arapahoe. Even in the six short months that I've been able to gather with you, mostly digitally, I, I see the way that you fight for each other. You share the realities of life with one another, the way you support one another's kids and families in a way that I know makes an impact on our children and our families here. So Mary and Joseph can't find Jesus in the caravan. And they return to Jerusalem where they continue to search for him to no avail. That is until they finally check the one place they should have started, in the temple. And it says, after three days they found him sitting in the temple sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. Finally, after three days, Mary and Joseph find Jesus in the temple with the rabbis, with the teachers. And I think it's interesting that that Luke puts Jesus in a position where he's listening and asking questions. Because we would think that Jesus, you know, being the son of God, would already know everything about faith. So why the listening? Why the questions? A lot of us may have grown up in a church where questions were not encouraged, especially from children. You may have been raised in a church that demanded you simply believe what you're told, and curiosity was not allowed to enter into the Sunday school classroom. I don't believe this is the vision that God has for the church. In fact, in this story, we see God go to church to ask questions and engage in dialogue with the great thinkers so that his faith and their faith could be expanded. When we see Jesus as the Son of God, we must remember that Jesus is very human as well, complete with the questions of faith that have crossed all of our minds. There's a lot of churches that will try to tell you exactly what you should think or believe about any given thing. And they are very successful a lot of the times, too, because a lot of people simply want to be told what to believe and how to live. But I don't think that's what God had in mind for us. I believe that God gifted us with minds that are capable of incredible thought 
And we don't shut off our brains on our way into church. If anything, church ought to be the one place where our minds can come most alive. In the words of the great 20th century rabbi Abraham Heschel, we are closer to God when we are asking questions than when we think we have the answers. We are closer to God when we are asking questions than when we think we have the answers. When I was in seminary, I took a a world religions course, and and we were assigned a project that required us to interview a member of a different faith. And so I chose to interview one of the lay leaders at Temple Emmanuel. It's a reformed Jewish synagogue on Hillcrest and Northwest Highway in Dallas. And um, we talked for a couple of hours about his understandings of Judaism and of Christianity and the similarities and differences that they share. And one thing that he said really stuck with me. He said that he was sometimes jealous of Christianity because, and I quote, it looks like Christianity has all the answers and all Judaism has is questions. It looks like Christianity has all the answers, he said, and all Judaism has is questions. You know, I don't think he's alone in that observation. Somewhere along the way, Christianity has become a faith known for having nothing but answers, Maybe this happened because we feel like we have to have answers to be appealing to those around us, but if I take the gospel of Luke seriously, maybe we would be more successful in our efforts to share our faith if we embraced questions more often. While a lot of people want answers, in my experience, more people want their questions taken seriously without us jumping to easy answers and faith-based platitudes. So the story continues. And it says, when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, child, why have you treated us like this? Look, your father and I have been searching for you in great anxiety. And he said to them, were you searching for me? Why were you searching for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he had said to them. Here we find Jesus' first words in the Gospel of Luke. In response to his mother's worry and fear, why were you searching for me, he asks. Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? The irony of Mary's search for Jesus is that during her search, she would have had to walk past the temple over and over and over again. The city of Jerusalem in those days was not exactly enormous. It was actually pretty small. And the temple was the most prominent place in the city. And yet it takes her three days to think to look inside. Mary was searching for her son and she looked everywhere except what turns out to be the most obvious spot. And why was it so obvious? Not only because of its geographic location, but for Jesus, the answer is simple. His phrase is, I must be in my father's house. In the original Greek, the word used there for for must is this word day, D-E-I, day. I must, I day, be in my father's house. 
Jesus uses this word day, must, again, several times throughout the Gospel of Luke, always when explaining his willingness to follow God's will wherever it would lead him. He says, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other cities also, Luke 4.43. The Son of Man must undergo great suffering, Luke 9.22. But first he must suffer many things, Luke 17.25. For I tell you, the scripture must be fulfilled in me, Luke 22. 37. Jesus' understanding of why he does things is critical, not only for us to understand Luke, but also to understand God's work in the midst of our lives today. In Jesus' day, the common Jewish understanding was that people did things out of an obligation to God's law. And and the prevailing Greek philosophical thought in those days was that uh, fate guided every person's life. But here we see Jesus offering us a different alternative, Maybe our lives are not about obligation, nor simply watching the dominoes fall as they may. Jesus is in the temple as a child because he followed the will of God there. It's the same reason he finds himself healing and teaching and proclaiming good news as an adult. It's the same reason he finds himself sacrificed on a cross, not out of obligation, not due to fate. Jesus has a clear choice, and he consistently chooses God because He must. As Jesus searches for God, once God's will is revealed, his searching produces submission. A question that emerges from the text for us this week is this. In my searching, how is God in the center? In my searching, how is God in the center? How is God at the center of our work at the center of our relationships, at the center of our families, at the center of our public witness, at the center of ourselves? How is God in the center of our searching? Because what we're searching for will always be found most abundantly in God, in the listening, in the questions, in the searching out and finding once again the Christ child who turns and says, do you now know what you must do? Even Jesus had to take his life in next faithful step pieces, and why should ours be any different? This next year will be a year full of next faithful step kind of living, just like last year was. And I think we've all officially given up trying to predict the future, amen? One thing I do know, however, is that as people of faith, we will be asked to make choices, just as always. Those choices can seem difficult. But I pray that through searching, we can find our must in the example of Christ. So that when we're given the opportunity to live like Jesus, we know that we must. We must build up our local communities. We must give voice to the voiceless. We must protect time with our families. We must give generously to those who ask. We must include the excluded. We must ask questions and listen well. We must stand as allies for marginalized people. We must serve as, prote- as peacemakers and healers and reconcilers. When we're given the opportunity every single day to live like Jesus, whether it's obvious or not so obvious or obviously something that we'd rather not do in all of these things, by searching out God's will, may our searching lead us to submission and knowing that while we don't have to, we must. In the Methodist church, there's a prayer that we traditionally pray to start the year, and it's called the Wesleyan Covenant Prayer. It's a prayer about submitting to God's will in the year to come. 
The original version is lovely and liturgical and also a little hard to understand in its King James Version-esque language. So this year I'm grateful to a Methodist pastor out of Seattle named Jeremy Smith who modified it for modern ears. This is going to be my prayer this week. Let's pray together as we seek our next faithful steps in the days and weeks and year to come. Would you pray with me? I am not my own self-made, self-reliant human being. In truth, O God, I am yours. Make me into what you will. Make me a neighbor with those whom you will. Guide me on the easy path for you. Guide me on the rocky road for you. Whether I am to step up for you or step aside for you. Whether I am to be lifted high for you or brought low for you. Whether I become full or empty with all things or with nothing. I give all that I have and all that I am for you. So be it. And may I always remember that you, O God, and I belong to each other. Amen.